What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Good day, listener, and welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I am still Matt Tebby. And uh, if that changes, I'll let you know. This will be one of the first places I will uh, help everybody understand why my name changed and what Mm -hmm. protection program I'm in. Uh, I'm joined by, you heard Ben Sternke's voice. Hello, Ben. Hello. Good to see you You both. Good to see you. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, And the both he was referring to is Christy Penley. Hey, hey. I'm here. Yes, you are, Christy. (laughs) Uh, What do you call that thing on your head? (laughs) It's... It's called I've had influenza A for three days and I haven't showered. <laughs> <laughs> it's a scarf to cover my hair. Lis- yeah, lis- you know. listener, Christy is wearing not just her pink headphones, but uh, a, like a full-on scarf, which is yeah. not her normal look. Listen, so. listen, I'm here. I'm sitting up. and You are. And I'm not coughing yeah. and um, I'm going to upgrade from Super pajama Im- pants to leggings today, guys. Which women? I, that's incredible. Yeah, you know it. If you've been sick, you know yeah. that that upgrade. Yeah. That upgrade. And I also heard you. You were sharing that you were going to also take a shower today. <laughs> so you got big life goals, Christy. <laughs> today it's going to. You guys have been so sick the last three days. Okay, yeah. we don't need to talk about that. Yeah. But we do yeah. need to talk about something that's on Matt Tebby's mind. There's always things on my mind. Most of them are not mm. podcast appropriate. But this uh, breakfast, breakfast, I want to mm. chat about breakfast yeah. because I. My right hand is cold, yeah. and I can't get my right hand warm, and it's my <laughs> just breakfast your right fault. Hand? Just yes, your right. just my right hand. <laughs> I, you are so old, My dude. right hand is freezing you because just... every day, uh, I would say like- I think it's old man stuff. Four out of seven days, you have to speak up, young man. Four out of seven <laughs> days, uh, I can't hear you. Four out of seven days of the week, I eat a smoothie. Uh, so I take frozen blueberries, frozen strawberries, a half of a banana, frozen banana, 
and then I have these powders, these concoctions uh, <laughs> that I pour into this thing, and I put water, and I shake it up, and I drink this smoothie slowly from like, I don't know, usually like 7.30 or 8 a.m. all the way until I just finished it. So I'm recording this like at 11 a.m. Eastern. So I took like, what is that, three hours. Do you hold it with your right hand? My breakfast. Well, Christy, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I do. That's why your hand is cold, man. Yes, and so I can't bring myself quite to wear gloves for breakfast. Um, <clears throat> I have a solution. And A straw. Um, Use a straw. Then you don't even have oh, to pick yeah, it that up. Would, that would work. <laughs> I, now I feel like I need to repeat... Uh, <laughs> I need to repeat high school or something. Yeah, that's that is obviously the thing I should do. Why don't you just eat um, a hot breakfast, man? Cause, okay. So my wife every day eats cereal, every day, and my kids every day eat cereal, and they switch it up. You know, mm-hmm. I think this different morning different kinds they, of cereal. Yeah, different brands of yeah. cereal. So you know they'll work through different brands of cereal. I think this morning it was Captain Crunch. Oh. Uh, what's the Captain Crunch with the berries? Oh, yummy is what it is. I think now, that's just Captain. Isn't that just Captain Crunch? Or the only berries? No, no, no. It's got only the berries? Captain Crunch and the berries. So there's Captain oh, crunch Crunch. Berries. Which, which, That's Crunch Berries. Crunch Berries. That's what it yeah. is. So all three of my kids this morning, all three <laughs> of my kids, my wife and my two kids, <clears throat> all eat mm. Crunch Berries. <clears throat> yeah. But I can't, if I eat that much like sugar for breakfast, I become a pretty miserable human and I get s- crazy hungry like at 1030. Mm. Um and then, like, the breakfast I like, Ben knows this, I like the eggs and bacon or, like, an omelet. Like, if I eat that every day, forget about it. These hips <laughs> will not fit in my pants. <clears throat> so, I'm trying to eat healthy, but also, some days, I just eat, like, lunch for breakfast. Some days, I'll get up at, like, 7 or 8 and just warm up, like, a big bowl of soup <laughs> and eat, like, soup. Okay, okay. So, listen, this morning... I just don't do... I just don't... It's complicated. Yeah. Okay. This morning yeah. I made uh, okay. avocado toast with egg on it for my kids. That's what you, just switch it up, man. Like one day eat a smoothie wow. and the next day eat avocado toast avocado with toast one with egg. egg. It's like healthy and hot. My daughter loves that. I know. My daughter loves that. I feel like that's like a millennial meal right Ooh, there. I'm so young. Millennials get teased about their <laughs> avocado toast. <laughs> what does that say about me? That's great. Yeah. 45 is I the new, you know, the so. new, I don't know. 21. The new millennials? 45 is the new millennial. Although, yeah, anyway. Ben doesn't eat uh, breakfast. Well, I normally don't. This morning, I was just thinking about this because you guys were talking about breakfast. Normally, I don't. I have a cup of coffee for breakfast and then I eat like a little quick lunch. I don't know. If I don't have a a lunch to go to, um, I eat like a little quick lunch at 11. Um, It's just a little bit though. And then I go work out over the noon hour and then I have like a workout like smoothie thing afterwards. But mm. this morning I had a, I had like an eggs and bacon breakfast. Oh. So, okay. I don't know. I just felt like it. I was just like, <laughs> I'm heating up this pan. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do eggs and bacon. It's, it's going to be great. So. Well, All right. I could eat breakfast well, for every meal of the day. Dinner. That's why I we do have love brunch. Breakfast. Yeah. Brinner. You know, yeah. we rename it because we like it so much. Mm-hmm. We want to just have it for other meals. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to just use, I mean, per, yeah, I prefer lunch and dinner to breakfast. Yeah. And I would. And I, I love, I mean, this is for, for me, I love breakfast, all breakfast foods. Um, I can't regularly, like you, Matt, I can't regularly have like sugary 
stuff because a lot of that traditional breakfast food is you know covered in syrup like waffles and stuff uh and i love that uh but i can i can only do that on like uh special occasions i can't do it regularly because yeah. I, I feel bad I feel bad sure. in my body yeah but um i was thinking about crunch berries too now i know um, now i want some and <laughs> i know it but crunch berries are this like mythical for for us growing up and like on all family vacations and now on all of our family reunion vacations Crunch berries are like, we have to buy like 18 boxes of crunch berries because <laughs> we associated crunch berries with vacation because we could never have sugar cereal growing up. So I, I credit my parents, you know, like no sugar cereals, like we had to eat like Rice Krispies and stuff, like things like that. But on vacation, it was crunch berries. We could have crunch berries every single day. And uh, so now we probably go through 18 boxes of crunch berries every time we go on a family vacation. I need Paul Penley on that train because he's like anti- <laughs> sugar cereal for our kids. And I love it so yeah. much. Like I love sugar cereals, but I need to at least yeah. say vacation. Only on time. vacation. Yeah, How about that. on vacation? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. Oh man. Mm. Well, vacations, all bets are off. Yeah. I mean, vacations all you crumple can... like golden Oreos in a bowl and pour milk on them and eat them as cereal. So like vacation <laughs> is, is it a thoroughly a embarrassing side of time gluttonous circus, but uh, but for that's why I drink these healthy smoothies. Uh, I'm really excited about my smoothies. They aren't particularly tasty, but they are healthy. Use a straw next time, man. Your hand's gonna get warmed up. Life's it's a, it's a life upgrade right here. I'm so glad we talked. Yeah, it about is it. a life upgrade. You, you're gonna shower, and I'm gonna use a straw. See, listener, this this is how you improve your life with very mundane, oh, ordinary goodness. things. This is great. This is why they tune in for life tips, life hacks. Well. Enough of enough of life tips. We've mm-hmm. uh, got a great conversation to bring you today. Uh, David Kramer and Miles Warrants talking about a field guide to Christian nonviolence. Mm-hmm. This was uh, a thoroughly fun conversation. We talk a lot about nonviolence here on the podcast. Why do you do. think that is, Ben? Ben, why do we, why do we talk about that a lot? Because we're so violent in our hearts, we have to do something about it. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I am uh, yeah. inside, uh, full of rancor and malice and yeah. rage. Uh, and I mean, all, I mean, I'm I'm halfway uh, serious about that. But um, but yeah, I think it's I think for us, it's always been something that we have to seriously consider as an implication of our discipleship to Jesus. Yeah. So yeah. I think Agreed. it's a big deal. And this conversation actually is where, uh, this book is a great book because it takes each chapter as a different stream of nonviolence and how they all, sometimes nonviolence is talked about very thinly, very caricaturedly, and Mm -hmm. um, this book shows the depth of the tradition. And in this conversation, we talk about the last chapter, which is um, a a group of people that refer to Christian nonviolence as anti-violence. Yeah. Which was just so provocative for me because, uh, frankly... Uh, if we can, if we can use an analogy here, I've I've begun to, I've begun to use the word anti-racist versus just sort of non-racist, you know, mm-hmm. because um, racism is not perpetuated primarily through internal feelings of prejudice, but through, mm-hmm. but through ways of being in the world, mm-hmm. systems, structures, logics, yeah. common senses that are ordered and normed by white supremacy. And so if you don't if you aren't actively opposing it, it it uh it'll have you. You know? Yeah. 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 And I think that violence is similar to that. Right? Yeah. So anyway. Totally. Just, Man, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to say there. That. Yeah. 
we're already at 10 minutes for this intro, so oh I'm like, gosh. well, we probably can't get into that. But I think that's uh, that really is an important conversation. Um, just the different posture that that creates to say that I'm anti this. I'm intentional about trying to see it and resist it rather than just focused on whether or not I'm overtly sort of perpetuating something. Yeah, it's important conversations. Anyway, uh, is that all we need to say? I think so. Mm. I think so. Let's get into it. Oh, uh, if you, uh, listener, it is the giving season. And if you are so inclined and you have benefited from the ministry of gravity, would you consider partnering with us? If you would like to make a donation, you can go to gravityleadership.com slash partner and check out all the info. There's a little video on that page of me. I took a little selfie video of myself. I like it. I don't normally like, yeah, do you like I it? Do. Oh, good, I do. I watched you. it. I, I don't normally like doing stuff like that, but I, um, I said, you know what? Sometimes millennials, these kids these days, they like to look at a video. Yeah. Instead of just read the text that I write. So I thought I'd just I'd make them a little video. So it's for all you millennials out there. If you want to watch a video of me. Or those who are 45 <laughs> and want to be a inviting. millennial. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you Gen X? Is 45 Gen X, Christy? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. You know, I wasn't sure what the cutoff yeah, is. Goonies. I feel like I'm a young Gen Xer, but yeah. yeah. I feel like if you know what Goonies is, you're a Gen Xer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get into the interview. I know what Goonies is. Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. Dr. David Kramer and Dr. Miles Wernz join us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. David Kramer is managing editor at the Institute of Mennonite Studies, sessional lecturer at Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminary, and a teaching pastor at Kello Park Church in South Bend, Indiana. Miles Wernz is associate professor of theology and director of Baptist studies at Abilene Christian University in Abilene, Texas. He's the author or editor of several books, including Bodies of Peace. Today, they're both here chatting about uh, their latest book with us, A Field Guide to Christian Nonviolence, Key Thinkers, Activists, and Movements for the Gospel of Peace. uh, Miles and David, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, uh, listeners, um, dozens, we have dozens of listeners, and they, uh, astute there ones will remember that, <laughs> that we have talked about nonviolence perhaps uh, inordinately, but it's because it's so, uh, Ben and I at Gravity think it's just such an important topic and often misunderstood or neglected topic in Christian theology. Yes. And this book, um, this book is an incredible work. Um, the breadth of it is staggering in the way it's, how readable it is and how much ground you cover in such a readable, cogent, uh, pithy form is commendable. But first, I'd love to hear, maybe as back as background, uh, you both got your doctorates from Baylor, and you tell the story a little bit in your book about how you met there. Uh, maybe tell us uh, about how this the genesis of this book came about, and um, how did you guys come together and decide to write it? Sure. Well, uh, Miles was a few years ahead of me at Baylor. I actually was familiar with some of his writing when I started at Baylor. So I think I sought him out um, as sort of a slightly older mentor. <laughs> we won't talk about our ages, but a few <laughs> a few years ahead of me. Yeah, um, and then uh, 
And we both wrote um, our dissertations on pertaining to nonviolence and kind of 20th century theological movements. Um, and throughout the course of my research, at some point I got connected to um, the good people at Sojourners Magazine, and they were basically looking to um, revisit some key thinkers in Christian nonviolence in the 20th century. And part of that had to do with um, kind of the sad realization that one of the major influences in the 20th century, John Howard Yoder himself had a history of sexualized violence. And so I think the people at Sojourners, as well as Miles and I were saying like, okay, in light of that, where do we go from here? Is nonviolence itself a sham or mm -hmm. are there other figures that we can turn to? And so in conversation with the people at Sojourners, I wrote an article by the same name as our book, A Field Guide to Christian Nonviolence, and looked at eight different um, 20th century figures and early 21st century figures that um, kind of talk about nonviolence in different ways um, and kind of compared and contrasted some of their views. And then, Miles, I think you came across that article and you kind of started the conversation about the book, right? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a great article. Uh, Dave wrote the piece for Sojourners. At that time, I was teaching at uh, was teaching at a university. I was teaching in West Palm Beach, uh, Florida, uh, at Palm Beach Atlantic down there, and just was really dissatisfied with the way in which uh, a lot of the conversations around nonviolence were occurring in more academic and popular spheres. I had been on a couple of different. Um, kind of the, the prototypical just war versus pacifism kinds of panels. And the thing that, that immediately struck me was that as someone who had written quite a bit about Christian nonviolence, I knew the ins and outs of kind of contemporary just war thought and was versed in the different objections and different kind of nuances within it. But when the just war folks would talk, it was as if the only person who had ever said anything about Christian nonviolence was uh, the Schleitheim Confession, and then skip a couple hundred years later, and then John Howard Yoder said a few things, and then that was about it. So, uh, so it was just really, it was really like maddening because I thought there's so much here, and there's a, such a, a diversified uh, history, and they don't all agree with one another, and they're doing a lot of interesting things in kind of distinction from one another, and there seems to be no way for folks who don't already kind of buy into it to enter into the conversation. Yeah. And it just, it just impoverishes the whole conversation when there's no kind of access points like that. So after having a couple of those incredibly frustrating experiences, I, I, I talked to David and said, man, I think we need to, we need to do this. Um, the, he had already provided kind of the, the framework. And so from there, we began to blow it out in terms of who all needed to be in this. Where do these figures seem to align with one another? Where do they seem to diverge from one another? Um, and how do we begin to make sense of this field? So. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and you know, your, your book is a, um, it's not an apologetic necessarily for nonviolence, but it's more kind of filling that need that you, that you saw um, mm -hmm. for just this appreciative analysis of nonviolence um, so that people could actually, see what it is actually and and the diversity of thought around you know what nonviolence is christian nonviolence in terms of the thought um i wonder if you could like as you uh, wrote this book and or in your experience what what sort of commitments or assumptions make no christian nonviolence persuasive to people and then maybe on the flip side 
what sort of assumptions um, uh, you know, or, or commitments uh, make nonviolence unpersuasive to Christians? I don't know yeah. if there's yeah. some interesting stuff you found there in your book or not. Yeah, I can start. Um, I think it depends on where what the starting point is for the Christian who's engaging the right. topic. So for some people, and this is one of the reasons why I think looking at these eight different streams is helpful because you see that there are different kind of starting points that might be more persuasive for for some than others. So we um, start the book with a chapter on what we call nonviolence of Christian discipleship. And I think for many of us, myself included, I think Miles, uh, maybe both of you, like growing up in more of an evangelical context where we're all about the Bible, we're all about following Jesus. And then you're sort of hit by some of these writers who are like, hey, so have you ever thought about what Jesus actually said about violence? <laughs> and um, kind of revisiting the Sermon on the Mount, revisiting, you know, other other parts of Scripture like uh, Romans 12, where Paul is talking about how to respond to enemies. Um, so I think for, for myself personally and others kind of coming from that background, it's just like, scripture. <laughs> it's yeah, Jesus, yeah. you know, and that's kind of where the conversation starts. And of course, there's lots of um, interesting conversation and even debates to have about how to read scripture. And when you're looking at Old Testament narratives and, you know, even passages in Revelation that appear violent. So it's not like scripture is a, a knockdown argument for nonviolence, but that is one entry point for a lot of people. But then jumping to kind of another entry point, I think for some, they might say, yeah, following Jesus, following scripture, that's great, but people are dying. You know, people are um, defenseless. And what are we going to do about that? And so I think another entry point for some is looking at forms of nonviolence that are interested in results. Mm. So they say, yes, faithfulness to Jesus is important, but what can we actually do to mitigate violence in the world, to reduce the causes that lead to war? And so we have another chapter um, that we call Realist Nonviolence, which is kind of taking up that question um, in some ways in response to Reinhold Niebuhr, the famous Christian realist who uh, was ultimately persuaded that violence at times was necessary to stop um, the forces of evil in the mm -hmm. world. But we've we um, came across a number of people who were kind of persuaded by Niebuhr's approach, but not persuaded that that entailed uh, violence. And so I think for some people who may have had that caricature of nonviolence that Miles was talking about of, okay, the Schleitheim Confession from the Radical Reformation that has a, a sharp separation between church and world, and it, it looks like it can be kind of a, a holy sect that's not involved in the affairs of this world. Seeing some of these other figures who are like, no, we are political creatures to the core, and how can we use our influence and power to try to address violence? That's helpful. Yeah, I would I would echo what David said. I think that um, people have different kind of starting points with respect to I think one of the most common objections that I find is with respect to the scripture arguments or the what do you what would you do in the in the case of great suffering kinds of kinds of questions. Um, I mean, I'll add one more to that, and that is it coming from a bit different angle is the question of what does it mean to be um, what does it mean to be a pious person in in the best sense. Um, 
that sometimes being uh, being virtuous means imb- you know taking up taking up the sword not for one's own sake but in defense of others. Um, and so this this again it, it dovetails into an entire different an entire tradition that has been thinking about what is the nature of virtue and how do we become yeah. virtuous people and yeah. um, what does virtue in a Christological key look like? Yeah. Um, so kind of one of the examples that we that I that we point to in in here is well, we point to a, a variety of people who thought of the practice of nonviolence as schooling them in the virtues and helping them to become the kinds of people that we're meant to become, but also as nonviolence as an image of what the virtuous life looks like. Um, Aquinas in his, in his Summa, when he's talking about the difference between natural and supernatural virtues when it comes to courage, distinguishes between uh, the soldier and the martyr on this point, that uh, if you look at virtue from the kind of the, the traditional marks of uh, the prudent and the courage and the and the temperate, that yeah, the soldier matches that to it down to the nose. Mm. Um, but if you trans like if you transpose that through the Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love, then it don't it no longer looks like the soldier. It looks like the one who's willing to die rather than to rather yeah. than to kill. So yeah, fascinating. And I think yeah, for each one of those points we just made, I think the flip side is kind of the sharpest argument against it. (laughs) So people who might, you know, be more inclined to come at it through, through a scriptural lens are going to raise the questions of what about, you know, the holy wars or um, other passages where God seems to condone violence. Those who are coming at it from a results-based lens are going to say, well, there are just times where it seems like violence is necessary to stop an aggressor. And I think those who are coming at it from the direction of virtue might quibble with whether nonviolence is a part of the kind of uh, pantheon of virtues. Yeah, the virtuous life. Yes. Mm -hmm. And now, a word from a sponsor. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, let's get back into our conversation. There's a there's a mm-hmm. rabbit trail 
where we could talk about how Scripture is used in that way as an argument mm-hmm. against nonviolence. But Leverett marriage and God telling Saul he would have given him more wives if he'd been faithful are never used as an argument against one man, one woman marriage. But that's mm-hmm. not this podcast, right? <laughs> um, you, you guys have mentioned a few of these streams. Sorry, I know. I just indulge. You guys are indulging me here. Um, you mentioned a few of these streams. Christian discipleship, uh, nonviolence as Christian virtue, uh, realist nonviolence. But then others, just to name them, Christian mysticism, apocalyptic nonviolence, uh, nonviolence as a political practice. And then the two that were most new to me and um, pretty... Uh, I think provocative for me, liberationist nonviolence and Christian anti-violence. Um, obviously, you guys come at this book having self-identified and been practicing and learning about nonviolence for for um, for years. Which of these um, streams, or maybe couple streams, are home bases for you in terms of you're most familiar with them, you're most at home in them, and then which are, which are the ones that were most new to you or foreign to you that you had the most to learn about? I'll go. I'll go first. Uh, so home base for me, I think, like David indicated, is probably uh, are probably twofold. One is the is the, the the Christian discipleship version, and then one that has I think become more home base for me is uh, the argument about the virtues. Um, I'm working on a paper right now that kind of draws Augustine into these conversations about the nature of like how do you read the Sermon on the Mount? And so Augustine says that you know the the, the Beatitudes culminate in uh, being willing to suffer for one's faith, right? Blessed are you who are near persecuted for your faith. It's kind of like a ladder that you ascend. And so there's a way in which I think that that's, that's, a, that's a really, I mean, there, Augustine in that, in, as it were, is not far from the kingdom when it comes to <laughs> this question of, of Christian nonviolence. He just doesn't take the next, he just doesn't take the next steps for a variety of reasons, I think. Yeah. Um, so that one, I mean, that has become, I think, home base for me in terms of thinking about how does it, what does it mean for a person to 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 proceed into the world? That there are all sorts of ways in which things like political nonviolence can be uh, can offer us a, a practical way forward and offer us kind of collaborative help, or things like uh, liberationist nonviolence can offer us kind of structural analysis of how violence works. Um, but for me, I think uh, the, the kind of the virtues approach has become the most challenging in that it, it seems to me to be uh, the one that I want to avoid, right? Mm-hmm. It's the one, it's the, it's the work on the soul that I, that I just, I'd rather go, I'd rather do something rather than, uh, rather than confront, I think, what's going on, you know, in my own habits and my own mm-hmm. desires of my heart. Mm-hmm. Um what was that? Sorry. What was the other half of the, the question? Yeah. Well, you were, you were really challenged by mysticism. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 The mysticism one is one that I didn't quite understand. And I had, I think I had the most to learn about. Um, and it was, it was one that was pretty familiar, was pretty unfamiliar to me. Um, around the time that we started writing, this was when I started reading Howard Thurman and, uh, some of his, some of his, the folks that were later influenced by Thurman. Um, yeah. And it, again, it kind of dovetails with this question of virtue and the prayer and becoming a virtuous person, I think, for Christian tradition are, are never inseparable, that these are, they, they are part of the same, they're part of the same pursuits. Right. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Good. How about for you, Dave? Yeah, I think uh, 
kind of in my own development, I also would have started with Christian discipleship. Um, as we talk about in the forward to the book, both of us were deeply influenced by Yoder, and we don't um, we don't deny that influence despite some of our growing concerns about his influence over the whole tradition. But um, that definitely was a starting point for me in kind of transitioning from a fairly um, red-blooded evangelical Republican <laughs> um, to kind of embracing more um, Anabaptist theology and um, nonviolence as a part of that. Um, and then in my own research um, at Baylor, I wrote a lot about the kind of tradition of realism. So just from the standpoint of kind of my own wheelhouse there, um, writing writing that chapter um, was kind of ready-made for us. <laughs> um, and so the growth points for me probably come in the latter parts of the book. I think the chapters you identified, Matt, as kind of new and challenging were liberationist and anti-violence mm-hmm. and Miles could tell you if we, if we wanted to spill the beans about the writing process <laughs> that those those took us the longest to get done. And I think part of it was just the fear and trepidation oh, of yeah. trying to write about figures that I can't even pretend to step into their mm-hmm. shoes. Yeah. And so we're trying to be faithful to these movements. You know, with liberationists, we focus primarily on Latin American liberation theology. Obviously, there's other liberationist movements, black, feminist, and so on. Um, But that was a whole new world Mm -hmm. for me to engage. And so just trying to write about um, the figures there, uh, Romero, Kamara, others, just as faithfully as I could. And then um, one thing we did was made sure for each chapter, because we're we're kind of writing about it from 30,000 feet. Yeah. and there can be frustrations with, uh, you know, kind of overview books that they just miss it on particular figures or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to make sure that the chapters had at least been vetted by experts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so for each chapter, we sent it out to people who are doing work in that particular area. And on the Christian anti-violence chapter, I think we had initially called that something like, interpersonal nonviolence something, like that, yeah. something mm-hmm. along those lines. And then we sent it to a couple of the people that we discuss in that chapter. And the feedback we got was, you've described our approach well, but we're not really sure we want to be called nonviolent right. per se. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they were the ones who suggested anti-violence as a more huh. accurate description oh, saying... Basically, so that that's talking about responses to sexualized and gender-based violence for for listeners who don't have the table of contents in <laughs> yeah. front of you. And so, there's um, very few who won't. Their feed, so that all- <laughs> yeah. Um, their feedback was essentially like, yes, we are trying to confront violence. We are trying to reduce violence, especially sexualized and gender-based violence. However, we would not counsel someone who is experiencing that violence that they have to necessarily turn the other cheek. So we are not going to be the ones to tell them in the position of oppression Mm -hmm. that violence is completely off the table for them. And I think we find kind of a spectrum throughout the book on kind of how that would be responded to. And so even looking at Helder Kamara in the liberationist chapter, he has this book called The Spiral of Violence where he says he is committed to nonviolence. 
even if it means being a martyr. But he's going to tell other people in the movement for liberation, if you aren't there yet, if you're not convinced, I'm not going to kind of condemn you for feeling like you still need recourse to violence. Mm-hmm. Yes. Other figures we discuss in other chapters would make a, a much harder line um, on kind of the Christian eschewing all forms of violence. Yeah. And so that was an interesting yeah. learning yeah. point for me. Yeah, that is interesting. I, <clears throat> um, shifting gears a little a little bit, you guys have alluded to a few of these um, stories, but um, we, we had, back in 2019, we had Ron Sider on the podcast uh, talking mm-hmm. about his book, Nonviolent Action, which is just filled with stories of nonviolent action, because okay. I think one of the one of the um, misapprehensions about Christian nonviolence is that it's just like you just go limp, you know, and just like you fall down and faint right. in the face of violence. You just do nothing, you know, or mm-hmm. you abdicate all responsibility. And and you know, like some people who would see it as a virtuous thing to stand up for the the weak, you know, are like, well, that's that's mm-hmm. not virtuous actually for you to do that. So, so I think sometimes we're plagued with this lack of imagination. But what does this actually look like? Um, and uh, you, you guys talk about this in the book, you know, so each chapter discusses, you know, both theology and practice, both the Christian tradition behind a, a particular stream, but also the practical embodiment of that uh, stream. And so I'm wondering if you can just share with us maybe a story of nonviolence that maybe one of the ones that you share in the book um, that you found particularly impactful or meaningful uh, for you personally, because sometimes I think that just sometimes helps us to get out of this imaginative gridlock that sort uh-huh. of for some people it feels like Christian nonviolence is just off the table because they jump quickly to home invasion or Hitler and they were like, well, what else are you going to do? You got to bomb Hitler. You got to like kill the home invader, you, you know, and, and then uh-huh. the discussion is over. So I don't know. I, can you share a couple stories that you found meaningful or? I, I mean, I can start with with one that might be f- more familiar and kind of show how and just see how that uh, show one that kind of pushes the edges of that. So, um, so I think most of our most of most of the audience will be familiar with the witness of Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Yeah. So one of the things about his approach that we uh, that we discuss in his chapter is the way in which. Uh, nonviolent practice was not designed to be passive, but was designed to ha- to heighten tension. It was designed to provo- like provoke contra- like to put the issue front and center. Right? Yeah. We're not going to be quiet about this. We're going to to peaceably uh, make our voices known in the most in the way that's going to create disruption. Right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to just kind of let it sit to the side. Yeah. So. Um, there is a chapter that we deal with what's called apocalyptic nonviolence, hmm. which takes some of those insights and pushes them even further. So in the 1970s, uh, in the height of Vietnam, you have a group of uh, Catholic priests and others, uh, if you know the names of Daniel and Philip Berrigan or William Stringfellow, like these were all kind of names associated with this movement that they break into a draft office in Catonsville, Maryland, and they steal a bunch of draft cards and they take homemade napalm and set it all on fire in the parking lot of the draft office. So the reason that they do this is to highlight, is to like dramatically highlight what death is doing. Mm. And so they take that, they take that instinct of that nonviolence is supposed to be uh, something which confronts, and something which agitates, and they push it. Uh, they like they push the envelope on that 
by saying, okay, so if that's part of what nonviolence is to do, that what then the extension of that is that nonviolence should be actively opposed to those things which are causing death, yeah. right? So yeah. that it is permissible from an apocalyptic standpoint to do things like break into the draft office and set fire to the stuff that's actually right. facilitating war. Right. Or um, it begs the, we did an interview for Sojourners in which they asked, I think Mitchell asked the question, so does that mean that it would, from a nonviolent perspective, it would be acceptable to like blow up a pipeline if it's, uh, <laughs> if it's creating death and destruction for like a, a community? And I had to say, well, I think from an apocalyptic perspective, probably, yeah, they would want to just draw, draw a distinction between those things which are causing death. Right. Like you're not killing people but you're right. actively opposing all those things which are creating death in the world. Yeah. Heightening that tension to the point of uh, destroying those things which are doing the death. So, right. mm-hmm. so Miles, as you're talking, I'm thinking of this uh, video I watched uh, on the web of a farmer whose groundwater had been contaminated by fracking. Mm-hmm. And he went before... Uh, the either town legislature or the state legislature and brought water from his farm and went mm-hmm. around as he was speaking to every representative there who had a mm-hmm. glass of water and dumped dumped their water out and poured some of the water in that was I mean it was like cloudy nasty water and mm-hmm. and told them you know if there's if there's nothing to do about this then go ahead and drink the water on my farm and it's like this right. di- direct confrontation of like mm-hmm. what's Dealing death to creation, mm-hmm. uh, and and the people who are responsible or could be responsible for it, you're making it so that it's really hard for them to to ignore what you're doing. Yeah, right. Yeah. You have to. It, it's right in front of you. You're confronting. You're confronting the agent of that yeah. uh, of that violence. Yeah, and so. Yeah. It's almost like, parenthetically, David, I want to hear if you have a story as well. But parenthetically, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's a marketing issue. Like nonviolence seems to indicate not something, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I'm just going to, I'm just sitting at home. I'm not being violent. You know, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. Um, but I think, you know, all these stories are like, these are, ac- these are filled with action. These are filled with confrontation. These are filled with tension, you know, like uh, in, it's sometimes filled with like crime, you know, like people doing things <laughs> that are technically <laughs> illegal. Um, but for the sake of, you know, uh, liberation, for the sake of creation, for the sake of goodness uh, in the world. So anyway, yeah. And of course, there's, maybe we got a branding problem. Well, of course, there's these these. <laughs> you know, that's why anti-violence is such a provocative word. Yeah, that is interesting because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, it opens up new possibilities. But I'm thinking of like even the Hebrew midwives, you know, mm-hmm. who get praised for lying because right. because Tricky. they they lie in order to lying is a violence of truth, but they're mm-hmm. keeping people alive, you know, um, and how. And how you mentioned earlier, turning the other cheek, like most of us have this intuition that that's an awful thing to say to a domestic violence survivor, right? Like we, Because we know that there's power at work there that mm-hmm. undoes actually what's happening in Jesus's turning the other cheek. Like there's, a, there's something going on, like there's something going on of, of powers at work in a way that changes what that symbolizes and does. And so mm-hmm. there's like this, dual thing of we don't have a way to see how power works so it's okay for a Hebrew midwife to lie in order to not kill a kid and that's different than just lying in another context to get something that you want mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and how these these direct actions 
uh, mean different things depending upon who's doing them and 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 yeah. when and when. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, I like that you invoked uh, Ron Sider because the subtitle to that book, Nonviolent Action, is what Christian ethics demands, but most Christians have never really yes. tried. Yes, yes, it's so good. <laughs> and I think that's why he yeah. gives all those yeah. stories to mm-hmm. say, hey, if you just give it a try, yeah. you know, that's part of the marketing mm-hmm. aspect. Yeah. Like, let's see if it's going to yeah. work. And I think sometimes the metrics for success mm-hmm. differ between wars and nonviolent mm-hmm. action. So, mm-hmm. you know, not to get too political, but we spend, you know, two decades involved in these sprawling wars that cost countless lives, billions of dollars. Right. And, you know, there's still people debating whether those were successful or not. Um, But then a nonviolent approach might be kind of unsuccessful by some metrics, but it doesn't cause the same amount of death and destruction. But then it invalidates, you know, the whole approach, you know, when we're not necessarily opposed to all wars uh, because, you know, Afghanistan went terribly or something. Hmm. Anyway. Right. But I think it was... uh, Maybe in 1983, 84, at this uh, Mennonite World Convention gathering um, of Mennonites from all around the world where Ron Sider spoke, and his his speech basically said, um, what if we were as committed and serious about nonviolent action as our governments are about violent action? Mm. And so it's just this call to, like, let's put our feet where our mouth is, as it were, mm-hmm. and um, out of that develop Christian peacemaker teams. Mm-hmm. So if your listeners haven't heard of that, uh, they're now called community peacemaker teams because it's expanded beyond um, just those who are committed to <laughs> Couldn't to find Christian enough Christians faith. to fill um, the teams, so they had to. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd like to think of it as the Christian witness went forth go. and brought drew, <laughs> drew others go, yes. in. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're kind of motto is we get in the way, Uh you know, they go to places Mm -hmm. where conflict is happening and just try to be a witness to it, try to, um, use their, their kind of power to leverage, um, you know, through media and different things. And it has been costly. So there was a young 20 something year old, uh, Mennonite from right around my area, MJ Sharp, who lost his life in one of these, um, engagements a few years Mm -hmm. ago. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd look up Christian peacemaker teams or community peacemaker teams. And then another really um, compelling uh, story, if if you haven't seen the documentary Pray the Devil Back to Hell, um, this is about um, the movement to end the civil war in mm-hmm. Liberia. And it was basically a bunch of Christian women got together with a bunch of Muslim women and said, this is crazy. Like our sons, our husbands should not be killing each mm-hmm. other. And so through all kinds of nonviolent protest and activity, they were basically able to bring the civil war to a halt. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so there's a documentary uh, that came out of that, Pray the Devil Back to Hell, that I would encourage you to take Mm -hmm. a look at. It's it's really, um, yeah, moving. Quite a provocative title. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. We'll be right back. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, we go below the surface of our lives 
so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. Let's get back to the show. This is um, something I just thought of, and I, I, wanna, I wonder if you guys could place this in a stream, or I know that some kind, some kind of practices or habits of nonviolence maybe incorporate one or more streams, but um, mm-hmm. a friend of mine recently told me a story. She lives in a pr- predominantly black neighborhood. Uh, she's a black woman, and she saw some young teenagers, underage teenagers, out under a street lamp after dark drinking, and they were getting like louder and, and more inebriated, and she knew like this is going to end badly for these teenagers, right? Um, And so she called up another mom. Neither of them were moms of the kids out there. And she went outside, she said, in her pajamas without a bra on (laughs) and put on some loud music. And her and this other mom started dancing (laughs) right next to these boys. And the boys, like, laughed and catcalled for a bit. And then the moms got more and more sort of like audacious and goofy and whatever. And and what happened was, and this is why they did it, what happened was the boys finally decided to move on, to leave, because the energy they had created there was changed because these two middle-aged moms were dancing in their pajamas. And she said, I did this because I knew that if I didn't do it, it was a matter of time before the police were called. And if the police were called, it would not end well for these boys. And so she sort of directly confronted maybe what she saw as something that would cause more harm than what was happening and, and ameliorated it or dissipated it. And I, I, I like uh-huh. to think of that as like a direct action that is not using violence to find its telos. Uh-huh. And I wonder how, through the streams in your book, how do you understand what's going on there? Yeah, that's an interesting example. I'm not sure it maps on perfectly with any one stream. I mean, it, it, it reminds me in some ways of various forms of nonviolence as political practice, mm-hmm. yeah. um, kind of, yeah. um, you know, tracing its lineage from King back to Gandhi. And um, one of the reviewers of our book uh, basically was concerned that we were opening up too many forms of nonviolence. And he wanted to say like, no, nonviolence is that active creative force. Like that is his definition. And I think the story you just gave there is of nonviolence as creativity and as action to kind of create a new alternative. Um, So I don't know if it necessarily would be considered political practice, although if they're thinking of it in terms of them engaging so that the police don't engage, it could kind of fall in that um, category for sure. But I think viewing nonviolence as an active creative force in the world versus sort of a passive, inactive um, kind of stance, I think is a, yeah, it's a really helpful way to think about it. Yeah, I agree. Miles, what do you think? I was just going to, I was going to say that as well. I think that that, that really well, that really illustrates, um, I think some of the creative practice that you find in that chapter, um, 
So uh, this is so one of the things that you mentioned, Matt, is the way in which some of these figures kind of overlap and they kind of they mix mix the streams, as it were. So Dorothy Day, I, we place in the Virtue chapter because I think that fits most with her approach. But she was also involved in a lot of kind of these direct action uh, sorts of things as well. Was arrested multiple times for mm-hmm. violating uh, like air air raid drills that they would go out into the street just to kind of demonstrate against the the, the civic practice that was going. Um, so again, kind of a there's there's one form that everyone is expected to take, and so nonviolence takes a, a more creative form in order to draw attention to. Uh, draw attention to the problem and to create a different way forward. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and another interesting thing about that story is I don't know these women, but it's possible they weren't pacifists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think it's helpful to recognize as we're looking at Christian nonviolence that you can engage in forms of Christian nonviolence without being a convinced card game yes. pacifist. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and I think sometimes it becomes such an either or that it's like, okay, if I believe that there is right. room for violence in some, you know, uh, circumstance that I can't be committed to nonviolence. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily the case. Yeah. I think we can have those intramural debates mm-hmm. among, you know, faithful Christians about sort of those you know, maybe it's about war, maybe it's about police action, maybe it's about, mm-hmm. you know, self-defense or whatever. But those debates shouldn't stop us from coming together and working toward a less violent yeah, world. Yeah, and I think this is where the mm. phrase anti-violence provoked me to think of this story, because I'm with you, Dave. I mean, she's a friend of mine. We haven't had, are you a non-violent, committed nonviolent person? But the thing is, she was anti-police violence mm-hmm. in that situation mm-hmm. and knew mm-hmm. that the, the only thing I have to prevent this is is me being weird, uh-huh. <laughs> right? That's right. And, yeah. That's right. And, and that is such a um, that is such a unique energy to bring in a situation where our, usually we're reduced down to binaries of do nothing or call the police. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, yeah. This is why I think, guys, this book is so helpful. There's so many people, faithful Christians throughout history, that you. Uh, tell their story, and also connect these streams together, and it opens up new possibilities for us. I mean, I was just thinking here, um, I don't know if this occurred to you guys, but the, the, you, have this, you have the nonviolent virtue kind of uh, chapter, and then you have the violence against gender and, and sexualities chapter, and the word virtue, vir, is man, right? Uh-huh. So, this, yep. I, this concept mm-hmm. even of virtue is shaped by manliness in a, in a Roman mind. And, and what, right. would, what would somebody who's really dialed into gender violence have to say about virtue? I don't mm-hmm. know if that, does that, did that show up at all for you guys? Was that on your radar? Did anybody give you feedback on that? No. Oh, yeah, for sure. There would be, uh, <laughs> the interesting thing about this book is, you know, we aren't, picking winners or losers <laughs> but, but there there would be some people that we talk about in some of these chapters who would be adamantly mm-hmm. opposed to people we talk oh, about wow. in other yeah. chapters yeah uh, and so we you know maybe don't always draw out those sharper edges as much but there would definitely be and i, I don't want to name names but if you want to do some do some <laughs> homework on some of the people we discussed mm-hmm. there would definitely be some figures who would be at loggerheads with yes, each other yes i think that's right yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, as we're winding down here, um, maybe Dave and Miles, um, I think listeners can intuit 
and uh, maybe infer from the things you've said uh, what you hope they get out of this book. Uh, more, more deeper appreciation for the diversity of nonviolence, a better, maybe more creative imagination for how to inhabit and embody that. Um, maybe as we close here, what, how do you take this work? In what ways are you extending it? So are you working on things that are related to this now? What, what sort of projects do you feel like mm. could spring from uh, what you introduced here? Mm. David, what about you? Well, um, I wear a couple different hats. Um, I'm a pastor in a um, urban neighborhood here in South Bend, Indiana. So um, some of the ways I extend this is just in my own pastoral practice when it's um, providing pastoral counsel to uh, victims or survivors of domestic violence. Um, you know, I've had situations where someone might have never been told by a pastor that it's actually okay to leave that situation. Um, and so having done this work and being able to say that with some amount of confidence, I think is somewhat liberating to um, people who are in those situations. Um, and then uh, my work at the seminary often includes editing other people's work. And so I'm going to put a little plug in for a brand new book called Resistance, uh, which is a collection of essays by mostly by and for Anabaptist or Peace Church mm -hmm. people. Um, but the editors titled it Resistance, which I think is a pretty clear call to a shift away from non-resistance to resistance. And a lot of it's focusing, again, on resistance to sexualized mm -hmm. violence in the church. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, those are a couple areas that I'm kind of continuing this work. Yeah. How about for you, Miles? Uh, I've got a couple of writing projects that I think will continue to, to tease out some of the edges. I've got a, a piece that's going to come out in uh, Christian Century later this fall, kind of talking about the relationship, some of the things we talk about in the book, like the relationship between uh, the ordinary violence uh, that you find highlighted in figures like Romero and drawing the, drawing the connection between uh, ordinary violence and the more spectacular forms of hmm. warfare. Hmm. Um, that one, one breeds another, right? Yeah. That when you become very comfortable with ordinary violence, then, it, then uh, things like international conflict don't become out of the realm of possibility. We become yes. much more able to imagine them and to reach for them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> one of the figures that, I, that nags me the most is Dorothy Day. And so I've written a bunch about her, just some some academic and some popular writing. But I'm working on a, a book long term that's going to take her work and put it into conversation with a lot of contemporary Christian ethics. Um, so that's that's down the line for me on a on a. So those are just like some writing things on a popular, unlike on a on a practical level. I think one of the things that I that I do work with is. Uh, in my world, uh, women's ordination is not practiced often. And it's not frequent. Uh, there's an organization called Baptist Women in Ministry that I'm on the board of. And so trying to find ways to advocate more directly and strongly for uh, women's ordination in my neck of the woods, I take that to be an extension of this kind of work. Sure, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. Great. So. Great. The book, again, is called A Field Guide to Christian Nonviolence, Key Thinkers, Activists, and Movements for the Gospel of Peace. Miles and David, thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much for having yeah, us. Thanks for having us. 
uh, Christy, what's a yes? what's a three letter word that starts with gas? A three letter word that starts with gas? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What is it? Car. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was going to say gas. Yeah. I was right? like, you, you ran out of letters after you got gas. You ran out of letters. So. It's, it's a car. It's car. Car, car, cargo, car goes with gas. Car goes yeah. with gas. Well, yeah. listeners. That's like, that's like my recent joke. I, don't, I actually don't know when I told that joke. Did I tell you guys the joke about the cargo? Oh, yes. Cargo space? Oh, last, yes. Last time. Oh, yes. Was that last time? All right. Well, <laughs> listener, I hope, I hope you've heard that joke because that was one of my favorites. I just, I, I think about it uh, once a week still now. still chuckling. And I just chuckle about it. Carno can do that. Carno <laughs> Road. <laughs> oh, my All right, goodness. Y'all. All right, listen. All right. See you next time. Have a good day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, we'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.